And that's right, chapter 13, the topic is... And the silence was deadly, snowing God's will. That's right, we're getting there on the topic there, page 141, for those of you hooked on uh, numbers. And as uh, so we just do a, a quick uh, recap as we there, we saw, again, as we opened up in prayer, kind of the theme, at least what I get from this, and at least from uh, uh, my own personal uh, walk with Jesus Christ, it's not so much the issue that we have as knowing God's will, because as we've been seeing, once again, what's the theme? Where is God's will? How do you know God's will? It's right here in the Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. It's right there in the scripture. So the more you get acquainted with that, the more you know God's will. And, and so it's not really knowing it. As we see, the challenge is doing it, especially when we disagree with maybe what God wants us to do. But as we begin seeing, name one commandment. We've seen this over and over again. Name one commandment in here, i.e. God's will for us. That's bad for us. That's the illusion, isn't it? Why would we even disagree if God says that we should say, Yoo-hoo, what else? And the reason why, yeah, praise God, John, he's into it tonight. That's right. And, uh, and um, do you think it's Ruth's shirt? Is that what it is, Ruth? Yeah, inside joke. But anyway, that's right. <laughs> anyway, so and we've seen, it's, it's, it's why. Why should I know God's will? Well, as we saw, the second point was uh, because it's a pathway, okay, of blessing. God's way is the best ways. Now, granted, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Hey, so what? He's God. He, he loves us. He knows what's best for us. And once you do his will, not just know it, you're on the road to the best possible life this side of heaven. Not a perfect life because we still deal with the old booger of a sin nature. We live in a wicked world system and we still have to deal with the evil enemy. Okay, But the best possible life is found in knowing and, dare I say, doing God's will. Then we got into some specific areas, top of page 142. And what areas of this life is God's will clear? Okay, and we saw, well, it's clear in uh, his will for my reaction towards sin. Uh, It's in his will towards my job, in his will towards my sexual life, in his will towards my citizenship. And last time, God's will uh, for us in our suffering. (laughs) God's really going to cause us to suffer sometimes? He's going to allow that to happen? Yeah, we saw not just one, but 20 good, incredible, wonderful reasons why God allows that, okay, if you were here last time. Now, one thing that we didn't get to share, I'm going to dovetail off of that, and we'll continue on, is I've learned this, and we shared this before from the pulpit, but repetition increases remembrance. What's that, Mary? Yes, repetition increases remembrance, okay? Now, what I've learned is when you're going through hard times, you ask yourself the four classical questions. It really helps keep things uh, in line, okay? So we don't freak out too much now. And the first question that we need to ask ourselves is, God, what are you trying to teach me? Okay, when you're going through a hard time, it's not just to know the 20 reasons, but you need to ask the question, ASAP, response time's critical, okay? What are you trying to teach me? And the reason why is because that reminds us as God's sovereignty, okay? And that he's not just got a plan. This isn't just happening willy-nilly. Anybody glad that God does not take a vacation from us? Anybody glad that when hard times come, he's not on the backside of Pluto kicking the angels because they forgot to send the email. What's going on with Tom? Yeah, I know. It makes you cry too, okay? And what we saw is we need to understand that God's sovereign. He knows, and here's the great news. If he's allowed it to happen, then you kick in Romans eight twenty eight. for God works all things together for good, including the hard times for those who love him, for his children, okay? And so we go, God, what are you trying to teach me? Because it, it's bad enough going through hard times. What makes it worse is to think there's no rhyme or reason to them. There's no value to them. That's not what God says. He says, listen, I don't just bless you in the hard times, put a bow on that experience. He says, I'm blessing you even the hard times. Not just in the good times am I blessing you. That's a given. 
but he always blesses us even in the hard times. That's what he said I didn't. What are you trying to teach me? Now, the second question we need to ask in difficulties is, God, how can I please you in this? Because we could sit there and we could say, oh, yes, God's got a wonderful plan through all this, and it's a good thing, and okay, yeah, whatever, and just move on about our business. We need to understand that there is a personal responsibility that we have in any uh, circumstance. I'm not responsible, and you're not responsible for somebody else's behavior, but we are responsible for our reaction to their behavior, okay? And the point is, get your eyes off of them, get your eyes off your circumstance, and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? Most importantly, let's put it into action. How can I please you in this? What do you want me to learn? What's my role in this? Get your eyes off of them, get it on him, and ask him, how can I please you in this? Because the thing is, I don't know about you, because if you don't learn the lesson, God's more concerned about our character than he is our comfort. And if you don't get the lesson the first time, guess what you're going to do? Round and around and around she goes. You're going to start taking some laps. I don't know about you, but I hate taking laps. And if God has a lesson for me to learn in a hard time, I want to get it right the first time. I don't want to keep going around and around and around. So, so don't just, yes, God's got a good plan. What are you trying to teach me? How can I please you in this? What do you want me to do so I can get off this track, Right? Now, the third one, what I've learned, is a perspective, okay? Because sometimes even though you're going, ah, oh, I know there's something good in this, and God, I want to learn so I don't take a lap on this, and I know this is for my good, and I'm excited about that, even though it's painful, and I may not have all the answers yet, but, but the third one is, is a matter of perspective. It's like, how would my attitude change about this, okay, if I knew I was going to meet Jesus in five minutes? It's almost like the air is coming out of the balloon at that point, isn't it? Because it puts it all in perspective, Remember that Bugs Bunny cartoon when there was a gremlin on that B-52 plane and it was, it was tearing it apart and it kept freaking out? Anybody learn good theology besides me from Bugs Bunny? Come on, it's there. You know it's there. Roll with it, okay? But anyway, so, and, and finally, he tears the plane apart little by little, right, this little gremlin thing, and finally, he's, it's going in a nosedive. Okay, it's going to this horrific nosedive. And this is long, drawn-out scene in the cartoon. And first of all, and he's, he's freaking, he's turning green, right? And then he's falling down in the seat there. And this, it shows the odometer. The altimeter and all that stuff. And it's going faster, and it's turning faster and faster. And it's going, and he's, he's leading, and all of a sudden he holds up this sign. Is this trip really necessary? And he keeps on going down, okay, this question in the midst of your difficulties, how would my attitude change if I was going to meet Jesus in five minutes? It's like, is getting worked over this really necessary? Do I really need this circumstance? Oh, what am I going on? If I'm going to meet Jesus in five minutes, and it could happen, rapture could happen before I snap my fingers right there, or I could die, and you could die. Was it really getting that worked up over? Especially when you know God got something wonderful. You know what I'm saying? Then the final one that I've learned is you need to make a conscious choice to not run from it, but embrace it. And dare I say, with joy. Thank you, God. And that's where we saw before. That's where you put the bow. You visualize the bow on the head of the person or the circumstance because it really is a present from God. Yes, God, thank you. I'm in it. I, I thank you for this by faith. Doesn't feel like it. Don't have all the answers, but I embrace this with joy. Okay? Makes a world of difference. Consider it hilarious laughter in the Greek, James says, when you face all kinds of perfect circumstances that always go your way. 
I'm sorry, that's the Barney translation, Tom, with the purple cover. Get rid of that Bible. Uh, no, uh, when you face what? Trials and sufferings. Oh, God. what? Hilarious joy. How can I embrace that with joy? When I understand that God's trying to teach me something wonderful and that I can please him in this and grow stronger in my walk with Jesus Christ. And is it really that big of a deal in the span of eternity? Nah, don't think so. But that's what we left off last time. The next one is God's will for elders. Is your blank there? Elders is your blank there. That's people who are over 90. No, nice try. That's pastors, teachers. Now, I like the hyphen there because that's literally what it says in the Greek. In Ephesians 4 is the classic passage where it talks about the fivefold ministry. If you're familiar with that, Christianese, it's actually a fourfold ministry in the Greek, okay? Uh, and pastors, uh, evangelists, uh, teachers, prophets, apostles, and things of that nature. Uh, but, but the word there, pastors and teachers, it's literally pastors, uh, that is teachers, meaning that pastors are to be teachers. If you are a pastor, you need to have the gift of teaching, okay? You have to teach, okay? That's what it's literally saying. That's what he says, pastors, teachers. Peter's final mention of the will of God has to do with those chosen by God to be elders or pastor teachers, okay, of local churches. He states, therefore, I exhort the elders among you, the pastors, and as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion because you have to, but voluntarily, according to the what? The will of God, okay? And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. You should be excited about it, okay? I don't know about you, but the only reason why I came here uh, to Sunrise was because I got this threatening phone call from John Gibson when I was still in New York, and he says, if you don't get out here, I'm going to come out there and flatten the tires on your SUV. And I said, okay, you got me, I'm coming. Yeah. (laughs) God's will in lying, no, is the next one. No, Uh, no, you want to, okay, you're not in a compulsion because you have to, it's eager, okay, is what's going on. They are to shepherd, is your blank there. Okay, those whom God calls to be elders of the flock have a huge responsibility uh, before God. They are to shepherd, is your blank there, the flock that God has given them, which will involve supplying them with a healthy diet from the word of God. Not secular psychology, not self-help programs, not a bunch of fluffy stuff, but from the word of God. Okay, as we saw before, it is uh, half the time if you preach the word of God, you're going to feel convicted. Half the time you should squirm. Half the time you should be encouraged. Half the time you should squirm. I didn't say that. God did. Okay, you need to get the word of God to the people. Now, here's the whole point. Equipping the saints for the work of the pew. Because that's why I'm here. Because I want you guys to sit there and be absolutely comfortable and then leave and go sit somewhere else comfortable and then come back hopefully Sunday and be comfortable once again. It's the ministry of the pew. What version are you reading, John? <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, that'll work. Okay, no, for service. Why am I, why do, not just me and Pastor Jim, but why do pastors preach their, and teach their guts out to the congregation? What's the word there? Not just sit around. For service, so that you can become better service people, service men, service women, Right? So that you can be stronger and more effective in your walk with Jesus Christ to sit there, to win that column, the daily double on Jeopardy, so you can get that cash. No, to amaze your friends, to wild your coworkers with how many verses you can quote. No, to serve Jesus Christ, to serve other people. That's the whole point, so you can become stronger. Okay, it's so what he says there. As well as protecting, that's your next blank, 
protecting them from any danger, i.e. false doctrine, which includes, did you know, we might get to that text tonight, we'll see, calling out specifically the false teaching of false teachers. There, we'll get to this Lord willing the final countdown because I want to kick this one. Because when it comes to apostasy, the reason why I would say sometimes apostasy in the American church continues is because the American church is bought into the lie that I shouldn't say that man's name from the pulpit. Excuse me, read the Bible. Paul called people's names out deliberately to the church. Hymenaeus, Alexander, he called them out by name to the church in public because they were teaching false teaching. And the church today keeps their mouth shut because, oh, I can't say nothing. Excuse me, he's hurting the sheep. He's leading them astray. He's fleecing the flock. I am charged by God as a shepherd to say something. It isn't just feeding the sheep. You are charged as a pastor, as an elder, as a teacher of the word of God, any pastor, to protect the sheep from false teachers because they want to come in and destroy them. They are to humbly also lead the flock, humbly is your blank there, lead the flock, providing a godly example by their conduct. Why? Because everybody loves following a hypocrite. No, lead by example. Okay, isn't that great? Lead by good example. That's, hey, well, I'm getting specific. John will be up here next week teaching, right, John? Praise God. That's right. And lead by a good example. And as we see here, they are to exercise oversight voluntarily and with eagerness, which is the will of God for them. Now, there's a little typo in there. If you see on the next page, it says, but what about decisions that God's word does not directly address? That actually should be there in between that part that has no space. So let's, let's dream and let's imagine it's really there, Debbie. But what about those decisions that God's word doesn't address. Well, thanks for asking. There are obviously many decisions that we will have to make in our life. The, the previous discussion, what we just saw, reaction to sin, my job, sexual life, citizenship, suffering, and elders, okay, that they didn't address. These decisions are the ones which most of us struggle. Now, such questions as, should I get married? If so, who should I marry? I'm going to dispel that very quickly, hopefully, because again, I don't buy into, we're going to get into this, the old issue of the gray area. Well, that's a gray area in the Bible. Okay, well, you just don't know. That's just something that, you know, the Bible just doesn't even speak about. Really? So the Bible doesn't speak squat about who I should marry. Yes, it does. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32 First Corinthians chapter seven, verse 32. Here's what Paul says. Hey, I'd like, I'd like you to be free from concern. Okay. An unmarried man is concerned about the uh, Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, if anyone thinks he's acting improperly toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if she's getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, i.e. for marriage, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. So, I mean, that's the first question. It says there, should I get married? I guess you'll never know. Here's one passage. Did you know that God calls some people not to get married? I know too, personally that I don't think they'll ever get married. 
and they're solely devoted to Jesus Christ. That happens today, okay? But sometimes God puts it on your heart to get married, okay? Um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but that happened to me. And Brandy's over there, but anyway, that's right. Now, but, but I guess I don't have any specific instructions. I guess this is one of those nebulous things, the gray area in the Bible. I have no, no clue, no direction in, in who I should marry if God hasn't given me the gift of being uh, solely for him. No, open your Bibles now to 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Here it is. Paul says this, do not be yoked together with what? Unbelievers. Why? What's the big cheese? Because for what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? And what does the believer have in common with the unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. So here's some instruction. And I bring this up because, man, you talk about sliding. I, don't, I, I can't tell you how many people I've counseled pre-marriage and post-marriage who have broken that rule in the Scripture with tears, bitter regret. And not just after they get married, but then children come on the scene and it's oil and water. One wants to go this way with them, one wants to go that way with them, and it's a nightmare scenario. Oh, but he said he was a Christian. Yeah. Did he become a Christian when he met you? Or did you do your homework? And was he loving Jesus, serving Jesus, active in his... You know if you, what you should ask somebody if you think that that's a, a Christian? Hey, uh, uh, on your first, quote, date, if you want to call it that, you know what you should ask him? Um, hey, what church do you go to? Really? What's your pastor's name? Okay. Uh, what area of service do you serve at the church? Really? What's your, what's your favorite book in the Bible? You know, just what, what? Because you need to know, because everybody can put on a good front. You need to know that this person loves Jesus and is a true born-again Christian, whether or not you're in the picture at all. You have to do your homework because anybody, I can't tell you how many people I've heard got burned because they said they were Christian. As soon as they got married, they got what they wanted, bang, sat on the couch. I've shared before, I shared the one story. The lady had five boys, that's, I really think that's what happened to her. As soon as they got married, I mean, he was active in church, and, but as soon as they got married, sat at home, had five boys. She did what she could, raising the boys, bringing them to church service. Praise God for that. But to my knowledge, every one of those boys, one after one, after they turned 18, guess whose example they followed? Dad's. Weeping tears. So, hey, I guess, you know, the God's word is just so nebulous. I don't know any, I have no instruction when it comes to marriage and marriage. That's why I wanted to break that down for you guys because, again, I know that's what he says. I, I understand what he's talking about, but I'm telling you, I'm trying to dispel this myth that you just can't know. There's just some things in the Bible we will endlessly disagree. Get in there. You're going to see it is in there as well. What career should I pursue? Should I go to technical school, a university, directly into the workforce with my existing skills and education? Tom, I guess I have no clue because that's one of those gray areas in the Bible. I have no instruction. I'm on my own. No, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy 2.15. This is the Awana key verse. 2 Timothy 2.15. Right on. Da, 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 da. 2 Timothy 
2.15. And here's what he says. Do your best. Some translations is study. I think it's spudazzo. Isn't that a cool word? Spudazzo? Sounds like a fancy ice cream, doesn't it, Mary? You know, give him a bowl of that spudazzo, put some, you know, yeah, whatever. You know, I digress. You're there. Uh, here it is. It's uh, to study. Uh, to show yourself approved or do your best, to present yourself to God. So this is why you're studying, to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Okay, schooling, studying. What is the purpose? According to the word of God, I need to do that. To show myself approved unto God right? And we talked about this before, and Lord willing, we'll get to kick it week after next uh, in the next uh, session of the final countdown study, the rise of falsehood and what's happened to our country, okay, and why we've turned from a Judeo-Christian ethic to what we have today with atheism and humanism, amongst other things, okay? And that's our founding fathers firmly believed this. This is why our schools, the primary beginning of all of our schools, even the universities, were Christian, that people went to school to be trained to be better servants of Jesus Christ, that's why we had schools in our country. When you learn the alphabet, it was A, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. C, Christ crucified for sinners, died. That's how they learned the alphabet. Why? Because school was not just to get a good job. School was to equip you, number one, they said it in their founding documents, so that every American could read the Bible. That's the whole premise. So we could be literate, so we could read the word of God and then grow stronger in our walk with God to become better servants for our country and for mankind. We have gotten so far that, away from that. He said, well, what, what career should I pursue? What, what, techni- what university? How about, Rebecca asked me this question just randomly last week, driving down the road, we were running errands. She goes, Papa, should I... Should I go to Bible college first or to college? You know, she's 11 years old now, and that's some serious heavy-duty stuff. <laughs> and I, like I said, 2 Timothy 2.15, go to Bible college. Number one is what I recommend. Okay? God wants, I'm not against college, whatever, but, but go get equipped. Go get equipped to the max in your walk with Jesus Christ. And then secondly, Rebecca, I encourage you this. Get this out of your head. What should... I do what do I want to do you need to begin to pray and say God what have you saved me for see what I'm saying our country used to be built on that one guy I got to share this quote it's awesome completely radically different than what we have drilled in our heads today he said it becomes too easy to think that being a Christian is somebody who believes all the right stuff I want you to believe in Jesus, and I want you to believe that he died on the cross for your sins. I want you to believe that he was resurrected. I want you to believe that he's here and now and wants to establish a personal relationship with you. But listen to me, you can believe all the right stuff and not love Jesus and not love other people. As a matter of fact, the church is filled with those who believe all the right stuff and who don't know how to love. Now, I know what you're going to say. You're saying, you're making this Christianity too hard. I mean, my goodness, I I didn't mind this belief stuff, but you expect me to change the whole way in which I live? Of course I do. That's what Christianity is all about. It's about changing the whole way you live. Maybe you don't like this Jesus. Maybe you don't like this Jesus who says, if any man would be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Maybe you don't like him. That's okay. Reject him. But for goodness sake, don't call yourself a follower of Jesus if you're not. 
that Jesus I talked to you about is radical, extremely radical, and he calls you to a whole new lifestyle, a dangerous lifestyle, and a threatening lifestyle, because the day you were a kid, they drilled it in your head to fit into this American system. Your parents did it, the church did it, and the school did it. They said, get a good education. And you talk about dropping out of school, they go crazy. And if you ask, why should I get a good education? The answer is simple. If you get a good education, you'll be able to get a good job. And a good job is one in which you earn a lot of money. He says, stop and think about how unchristian that is. He says, you need to go to college. You need to get a good education. But the purpose of an education is not to make enough money to buy things. The purpose of an education is to equip yourself to serve other people in the name of Jesus Christ. It's just too bad, Jim, that when our kids ask that question, we have no instruction in the Bible. It's just one of those gray areas. If you just get in there, I'm telling you, it's all there, right? Yes, maybe it didn't say the words 7-Eleven. I have not found the word 7-Eleven, although there is a chapter 7, verse 11, but I haven't found 7-Eleven, the convenience store, in the Bible, Okay, so when I pose the question, should, should Sonia steal that Snickers bar at 7-Eleven? Oh, oh man, I don't know. I just don't know because 7-Eleven doesn't appear in the Bible. But the concept's there. You shall not steal. It's there. Just read the word of God. It's not that difficult. Let's continue on. That's what he says. Should, uh, uh, should I change jobs? Keep this one. That's the same thing uh, with your job. Oh, here's one. I got to throw this one in there. The Bible says you shall not uh, forsake the assembly of the brethren. You need to be plugged in somewhere. Hey, can I tell you another sad story? How many couples say, Pastor Billy, man, we just got this awesome job. It's incredible. It's great. Oh, awesome. You know, unfortunately, it's out of state or out of town or whatever. And, but it's going to be great. It's going to be great for our family and we're making more money. And, and we can get out of this hole. And that's all great. And you know what my question is? I say, hey, did you find a church yet? Did you find a good church in the area? Did you pray to God and say, God, uh, lead me to a healthy church before I accept this position? I can't tell you how many couples have crashed and burned their marriages in shambles, their families up in smoke because they looked at a job just for personal financial gain and they didn't say, God, if this is the job you want, help me to find a healthy church first and not make a horrible assumption that there's going to be one there. Because can I tell you, we are in the apostasy. I get phone calls, emails virtually every single week from Christians all over the United States and around the world, and they're all asking the same question. Pastor Billy, I can't find a healthy church. Long gone are the days where you say, well, I didn't, I didn't, sunrise was pretty cool, but you know, that pot looked ahead. I'm, that nuclear jello was too much for me. I'm going to go five minutes down this road because there's a good one here. And five minutes over here, there's, there, it used to be that way, not anymore. Okay, you got a good job. Are you asking the spiritual question first? Because what good is that job going to do you when your life goes down the tubes because you've just got tricked into being jettisoned out of the church? Not going to be good. Let's continue on. He says, job, keep this one. These are the questions which we struggle, uncertain, what is right, what is best, to desire to know God's perspective. There is exciting news for the person in this situation, job. God promises us he will never or he will answer our prayer for wisdom in such situations if we only ask in faith, knowing that he can supply the answer, James 1.5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him grit his teeth, 
let him uh, beat his head against the wall, and let us go surf the blogs on the internet to find out what other people did. No, what do you do? What's the first, what's the first resort, not the last resort? Ask God who gives to all men and he plays with them. He plays cat and mouse. He goes, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> you guess it, right? I'm going to make you sweat for three days. I know what it is, but I ain't going to tell you. <laughs> Watch this angel. He doesn't play cat and mouse with us. If anybody wants us to know his will, don't you think it's God? He answers all of our prayers. It's either yes, no, or not now. It's just the not nows that drives up a wall, isn't it? Wait, we'll get to that in just hopefully a little bit. He says, who gives to all men generously without reproach. It's gonna be given to him. God desires for us to walk in his will and he's provided all that we need to know to do just that. It's right there in the Bible. Let us look at some practical steps and help us finding God's will in those decisions that are not specifically addressed in scripture, uh, scripture. Scratch that last part out. I just don't buy into that. I think it's there. I think you're gonna get the basic premise, by the way. You might not get that 7-Eleven specific, but I think the basic premise of what you need to do in any situation is found in the Bible, okay? Practical steps into finding God's will. Number one, pray. We just saw that. Pray for God's guidance. It's supposed to be your first resort, not the last resort, after you hit all kinds of brick walls. Pray. And again, that's what James, if any of you likes wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it's going to be given to you. When we examine scripture, we find that in the past, God has chosen to guide his people in many different ways, sometimes in direct miraculous ways, but in our day, God does not normally choose to guide us through the fleeces, through the clouds of smokes or visions, or one reason is the fact that in this age, all believers are indwelt with who? The Holy Spirit, which is unique to this church age. Thus, God will normally choose to direct, that's your next blank, direct us by the inward guidance of the Spirit. As we pray for God's guidance in our decision, there will be a peace and assurance inwardly if it's in line with his will. If you're uneasy about your decision, this is probably the Holy Spirit warning you. And maybe, maybe not. Because sometimes, I just want to say this, I, I agree with what he's saying. In general, yes, that's nice best case scenario. But sometimes God is going to call you to step out of the boat and you don't have the answer yet. And it isn't going to be peaceful and assuring. He's going to call you to take a leap of faith. When God called us to come here, there was nothing on the plate. And yet we felt prompted, give you resignation anyway. Not because of rotten things were going on. It's just he called us elsewhere. It was a, we were leaving a good scenario. I don't know about you, but giving a resignation with nothing on the plate, and if you don't know anything about pastors, you don't get unemployment. I'm the sole income. You're considered self-employed. So quitting with the resignation, having nothing lined up, okay. That's what we did. And the only direction we had was head back to California. That's it. <laughs> That's all we had, right? Now, I was, if you will, sort of yes at peace with it because we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt this was God's will. But still, that's what he's saying. If there's uh, uneasy, uh, maybe, maybe not. I'm not you know, saying, so there's a balance there. Pay attention because sometimes God's gonna ask you to do something you may not be totally easy about, but it doesn't mean it's not his will. Okay, let's continue on. Number two, carefully think through, carefully think through the decision in light of biblical principles. Okay, Proverbs 2 extols the virtues of gaining the knowledge and wisdom of God through treasuring his commandments within you. 
Okay, The regular Bible study and scripture memorization that you've uh, been involved in will be of great benefit here. In allowing your mind to be renewed by continual input of the word of God, you will have gained knowledge and wisdom uh, that the Holy Spirit will bring to mind as you think through the decisions you must make. The benefits of gaining wisdom are expounded in Proverbs 2. Solomon states that then you will discern you will discern righteousness and justice to deliver you from the way of evil and so you will walk in the way of good men. Deliver, discern, deliver, and walk, okay? And that's important. Because I can have people, oh, Pastor Billy, I got the gift of discernment. I can discern what's going on here. Really? So what's that decision you just made that you said you are at total peace with in my office? Well, God called me uh, to divorce uh, my Christian wife and uh, for no scriptural reasons whatsoever because he brought this other woman that I now am in love with and she loves me and that I, I prayed about it and I, I, as sure as I'm here before you, Pastor Billy, God said that that's his will. You better get in the word of God. You better, you better carefully think that through in light of not your own emotions, but through the word of God because that's not what God says. And again, that's where I put the balance. He, he, total peace with it. Uh, uh, uh. It was always made your gut want to come up. What? How, how, how could you even get that far? When I mean, you sit there on the one hand, uh, you know the scripture, but <laughs> what? Carefully think it through in light of God's word. But that's the issue. Do you really have God's word in you to even work with? Right? You'd be surprised, folks. It just I'm Basic Christianity 101 has to be done over and over and over again. Okay? Because people oftentimes are not taught uh, the basics. Let's continue on. Uh, we are constantly called to consider our actions and to apply scriptural wisdom to all decisions. Okay, and notice in that guy's case, what really was the rubber meets the road? Even when I shared the scripture with him, still would not bend to it. You know why? Because the issue isn't in knowing God's will. If he wanted to say that he never came across that verse, that wasn't the issue. I just told it to him. You know what the issue was? Doing God's will. That's the whole theme. It isn't just knowing. I'm telling you, it's the doing. And listen, he, in my opinion, got tricked somewhere along the line to think that somehow following God is not the best life. That by cheating, by sinning, by breaking God's commandment, by going a different way than what God says, it's going to be better. Can I tell you something? That's calling God a liar, which in itself is a sin, which I don't recommend. Okay? And it says this. That's what we need to do. The decision of the Jerusalem Council is a clear example of using scriptural wisdom to make very important decisions. At the top of page 145, number three, think ahead. Think ahead. Proverbs 16, 9 states, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Planning ahead is the way of the wise individual. In making major decisions, it's important to think through the implications of your decisions in light of the future. Will you still be pleased with this decision next week? Next year, 10 years down the road? Apparently, I'm never going to wear that shirt again that I wore on Sunday. Okay. I thought it was a good decision that morning. I put it on, John, but... <laughs> What? Now think about it, right? Now the, here's the problem. You're supposed to think it through. Okay, how's this going to affect me, right? If I take that job in the other state, yes, it's more money, but how's that going to affect me next year? 
What's the ramifications going to be on my family? And on and on it goes, right? You've got to think it through. And just down the road, Lord willing, of course, everything. How is this decision likely to affect your life, your family, career, a week, a month, or a year down the road? You've got to think. Now, here's what we have going against us. Our whole society banks on you and I not thinking through our decisions. No! Because it won't make a sale. You've got to be impulsive. And that's right. You've heard the phrase, just do it. Buy, buy. But don't you know it's your patriotic duty to buy stuff to keep the economy strong? You know what the Bible calls that? Idolatry. Isn't that weird? Wow. And the room got silent. Let's move on. One last thing. Because we're conditioned to be impulsive, we don't think this through, okay? It leads to an exciting acronym that leads to modern-day slavery. Uh, debt. Now, if you haven't learned yet, I heard this many years ago, and boy, is this true. Debt stands for Dumb Excuses for Buying Things. <laughs> you just had to have it. You didn't think it through, and here comes the paycheck. Here comes the bill. Here comes the interest rate. Remember that God Pie video that we saw, and they had the credit card thing there? Oh, don't forget the interest. <laughs> Think it through. Okay, next one. Seek advice of older, more mature. Underline this word, godly believers. Right? Might be somebody old in the Lord. Doesn't mean they're godly. Doesn't mean that they're even thinking biblically. Well, back in my day when somebody did wrong, something wrong to us, <laughs> we, we put salt in their gas tank. Get them. <laughs> yeah, that's what an older person could say to you. Hey, you're not actually considering that. I saw you talking. No. <laughs> Sugar? Does salt work? Mothballs? Let's just close in prayer. This is the <laughs> people are watching this. <laughs> Mothballs. Okay. All right. Let's just. Uh, <laughs> I digress. More godly, mature people. Pay attention to them. All right. Has nothing to do with gas tanks. Proverbs 12:15 states, "The way of a fool is right in his own eyes." But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen. Where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counsel, there's victory. There will always be people who know the Bible, human nature, and our gifts and talents better than we do. When did mom and dad cease to become the biggest goofball, dummy, uh, intellectually inept goobers on the earth? When you finally got on your own, like my brother and I, and or on our own, and it was probably about four months into eating top ramen and beef bouillon cubes to make the noodles taste like beef because we couldn't afford meat. Mom and dad were a genius. What'd you guys do? How'd you survive? Yeah, and it's still a mainstay today. But that's right. Uh, let's continue on. There will always be people who do that. There are also some decisions in our lives where our spiritual vision is clouded. Not only impulsive, but it's the dreaded emotions. Never get the best of us, do they? Of course not. We're always calm, cool, and collective. Right? Our emotions can cloud the judgment that most of us in the right situations, and this is the time we need the opinions of others, okay? Because they're not caught up in the emotion of the moment or the person or the circumstance or whatever. When seeking counsel, always ask for the reasoning behind the advice. Even in those situations when in the end we go against the counsel of some of our advisors, nothing but benefit will come from weighing carefully what they advise, okay? Nothing breaks my heart. Then people coming in, Pastor Billy, I need your advice in this. We walk through it there. Oh, that sounds great. They walk out the door and do the exact opposite. 
Not the thought police. I wish I had that easy button from what? Staples? And make you do it. I'm not saying I know everything. But again, you get in the Bible, it's right there. God will tell you. Just get in there. Okay, and finally, wait for the Lord. This is the whopper, isn't it? God answers all our prayers. It's either yes, no, or not now, i.e. wait. He's doing something behind the scenes. God's timing is not always our timing. Sometimes we just need to wait on the Lord. We need to remember that he is all-knowing. He knows it all, everything. Past, present, and future. He has a reason for not sending us an answer immediately. Okay? And we will know his answer in perfect time. He's always on time. It's just his time, not our time, but it's always perfect. Okay? We have to remember that. Uh, Psalm 27, 14 states, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, 34, yes, wait for the Lord and keep his way. God is not in as much hurry as us. I think it's a, was it a, is it a finish, a proverb? God did not invent hurry. He's not in a hurry. I can't even know you. It's your impulsions, your emotions getting the better of you. Chill out, wait. He knows what he's doing, Okay. And he's not as hurried as we is. It's not always his way to reveal more of his will for the future than we need for our present or for action in the present or to guide us more than one step at a time. When in doubt, do nothing but continue to wait on the Lord. When action is needed, he will reveal enough of his will to us uh, to take the appropriate action. Let me give you two quick examples and then a couple examples of servants and then we will close. Number one, this actually happened to Brandy and I. God, we hadn't even met each other yet. And, and God had put on both of our hearts, unbeknownst to us, she was on one side of Sacramento, I was on the other, and uh, to, to be married, okay? And, but each one of us finally had to get to the point where we're at what I call a point of surrender. And so instead of trying to find that right person, instead of you know, trying to make it happen in our time and whatever, I, I, I literally I stopped one night in the car, I was like nine months old in the Lord, and I said, I said God, I said, I, I give up, I quit. If you want me to be married, I'll be married. If you want me to be single, I'll be single. And I was really content with that. I just want to serve you, Jesus. I quit. Now, unbeknownst to me, at, at later, as we did all the detective work, that same week, uh, my wife was praying a prayer, wrote it in her little spiritual journal, okay? And she said the same thing. She says, God, I'm tired. I'm tired trying looking for the right guy and, and don't, it doesn't seem to work out and, and getting hurt and all that stuff. And, and if you want me to be married, I'll be married. If you want me to be single, I'll be single. I just quit. That Thursday, she walks in uh, to the class uh, for the first time, I already, was already at Bible college. It was the book of Genesis, which means beginnings, and I was beginning too. <laughs> it's so romantic. What do you do? It just writes itself. <laughs> anyway, so, but anyway, so she punched me in the arm, stole my keys, so I figured I had to marry her. So, but it was in the short, but anyway, but uh, what? But we look back, and God knew all along, but we had to wait. And I think he was waiting for us individually before he brought us together to really make that pledge to him of surrender and say, I want you more than any other person. I just want to serve you. Now you're ready. It's kind of cool. Sometimes you wait. Let me give you one example and we'll close. Again, back to the example of here. Now, I know God led us to resign from the last pastorate a month before uh, 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 we left and still had no idea where he was sending us, which was a kind of an interesting thing. And, uh, but believe it or not, the stirring on our heart that he was calling us somewhere, still had no clue where, was about a year and a quarter prior to leaving. 
So what we did a year and a quarter prior to leaving was goof off. (laughs) No, you keep doing what God's called you to do, faithfully waiting on Him. Now, that was a really hard time because it was like, whoa, you're expecting in a couple months, max, because there was no doubt. Month after month after month after month. And then then it goes on so long, it's it's over a year now. And we're going, God is... Maybe we didn't hear you. Maybe, was that really from you? And I kid you not, Brandy was, uh, took the kids to a park and a Christian man uh, was there with his kids and came up to my wife and Brandy was just kind of just sharing her heart and, hey, my husband's a pastor too. And oh, really? Yeah, that's kind of cool and stuff like that. And she can explain the situation. You know, God's called us, but we don't know where yet. And it's been, it's kind of rough. We, we just don't know why we're waiting so long. We were expecting any, you know, within a couple months, we're on the road, like, like it has been in the past when he does those things. And he came up, he says, you know what? He said, maybe the issue isn't that you're not ready, because you're ready. Maybe the church that God has called you to isn't ready. And can I tell you something? When I look at the time frame and I understand the history and the dynamics of how we came together, that was exactly it. We were ready, but we had to wait because sunrise wasn't ready. You just wait on the Lord. He knows what he's doing. When we are leading a spirit-filled life and walking in obedience, these steps come naturally in confronting a difficult decision. If they do not, we need to determine walk in obedience by getting serious in our pursuit of holiness. Okay? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. 
The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave, and the Bible says you will be saved. 
Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.